Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash watsonassistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make money. Because uh, my job is not just to entertain you, but it's also to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Query, what kind of self-destructive maniacs actually want long-term interest rates to go higher? How about the kind of maniacs who invest in the stock market? If the day where the Dow inched up 37 points, that's be dipped 0.07%. NASDAQ declined 0.22%. You've got to remember that rising bond yields, like we got today and much of this past week, make investors feel more confident about the economy. When you see the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury moving higher, it makes you feel like we can avoid a recession. Positive. Regular viewers know I think this, this, all of these fears about recession were, were really overblown. If anything... I think we've had a mild slowdown, but we could reaccelerate if the Federal Reserve keeps its strategy of cutting rates. All aboard! Why didn't I buy the argument of the recession thesis? Because their whole thesis was about the bond market itself. Remember that thing, the inverted yield curve, when uh, long rates went below short rates? They told us that, that was an infallible sign of serious slowdown. But I thought it was a false tell. I told you that the bonds were a false tell. Treasury yields were tumbling not because we had a weaker economy but because our rates are so much higher than the rest of the developed world. So you had tons of foreign money flooding our bond market, pushing prices up and yields down. Now the smoke is cleared and the markets feel more placid. That's why last night I warned you not to become complacent about stocks. I feel like investors are bidding up all sorts of stocks that really shouldn't be rallying at the same time. However, we had some today meaningful profit-taking, uh, notably in Apple, after a research firm cut its price target and its earnings estimates off of an accounting issue involving Apple's entertainment offering. Although Apple strenuously denied that estimates should come down like that. Apple kiboshed it. People didn't care. They kept selling the stock. Also, Broadcom, the semiconductor giant, got hit after reporting some slightly, I'd say ever so slightly disappointing numbers. The stock lost 10 points to a level that I actually find interesting. But I admit I might be premature. More on that later when we play hostage, no hostage, to China. All in all, though, I'm concerned about stocks here. I worry that this market won't be able to maintain its rosy U with the banks, the cyclicals, the transports, the soft goods all moving higher when we have a difficult Fed meeting staring us right in the face next Wednesday. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's go back to our game plan. The game plan for next week starts on Monday, when we're likely to hear, learn more about the much-lamented WeWork IPO. The forced nature of this underwriting has me a little spooked. The market can, can't seem to bear even 
$15 billion valuation for a company that was valued at $40 billion. This whole WeWork deal makes me nervous. When you have an IPO that can't seem to find a price low enough to bring public, well, wait a second, maybe it shouldn't bring it at all. I mean, if WeWork is that desperate, why the heck would anyone want to buy the stock other than to flip it, maybe? Now, does this one uh, stock have the power to knock down the whole market? That's the thing about broken IPOs. They do have a nasty habit of bleeding over to the rest of the market. I say let's see uh, if they can even price the darn thing, maybe around $10 billion. That might be a level where this heavily indebted millstone won't drag down the averages. Given that there's some seriously positive revenue growth, maybe some people can stomach the losses at a low enough valuation. Maybe. Tuesday, after the close, we hear from two super important companies, FedEx and Adobe. The last time FedEx reported management had some pretty negative things to say about trade, especially trade with China, because of the trade war. I think this company has a better handle on the global economy than the Federal Reserve or the Commerce Department or even the White House. I doubt things have gotten better since last quarter, not when you consider all these trade tensions. Then there's Adobe. It's a cloud king with a stock that's down about 11% from its high. That's a rare discount. I'm betting Adobe will deliver a strong quarter. as It's at the epicenter of digital commerce, and that's the most robust part of all technology. Speaking of robust tech... Zscaler, the cloud-based cybersecurity company, is having an analyst day. And boy, is this one ever important. Why? Because when Zscaler reported earlier this week, its CEO said that it's taking a little longer to close big deals. Wall Street interpreted that as meaning the company now has competitors impinging on its territory, and it caused the stock to get crushed, with the pin action actually devastating the entire group. The whole cybersecurity cohort has been crumbling, including CrowdStrike, which I thought last night told us a great story of this very show. We also get some macro figures for industrial production and capacity utilization. I am hoping, at least for the bull's sake, that they'll be weaker, weaker than expected, because on Wednesday, Fed Chief Jay Powell gives us his latest monthly pronouncement, and he needs as many weak numbers as he can possibly muster if he's going to justify a rate cut, especially after the strong retail sales number we got today. I really don't envy Powell here. On the one hand, he's got the president calling him a bonehead for raising interest rates too quickly last year, which slowed the economy to stave off the phantom of non-existing inflation. Now, you know I felt that Powell did a bad job on this, but that's okay. I wouldn't call him a bonehead. If Well, I kind of did, but now it's the president. He's got more of a bigger office than me. If Pal eases, he'll temporarily satisfy the president. But on the other hand, he'll also look like he's selling out the Fed, which is supposed to be independent, unless he has some less than robust numbers to back up the move. If Pal doesn't cut and President Trump throws up more tariffs against the Chinese, something that's still very, very possible, then the slowdown thesis becomes a lot more credible and palpable. Now, I know earnings reports will be on a sideshow on Wednesday because it's all about the Fed, but General Mills has been one of the hottest food stocks this year. Uh, and it's an up and astounding 38%. And that's because of some terrific execution by CEO Jeff Harmoning. Typically, this is not the kind of stock you buy when bond yields are flying higher as they were today. That said, if Powell decides not to cut, I think the recessionistas will be all over every media outlet they can find, predicting all sorts of doom and gloom. That's good for Mills. General Mills has a 3.6% yield. It has some real organic growth. You do a lot worse. Next up, Darden. Yeah, that's the parent uh, of Kramer fave Olive Garden. It's, got, it's been one of the best performers out there. Even uh, it hit a new all-time high today. You wouldn't get that move if the consumer were hunkered down, worried about a slowing economy. 
Right? FedEx with World Trade. Darden gives you a great read on the state of the average American looking to order in, stay home, go out to dinner. I know I'll be listening. They do a lot of, uh, they've been doing a lot of stuff with, with takeout that's very technological. Finally, while there are no earnings on, of note on Friday, I think we might be due for a trade update from the president. He's been prone to offer his views on Twitter about China in the afternoon. They've often left us puzzled, if not stunned, and I've come to dread the tweets about trade on Friday. All I can say is you've now been forewarned. Bottom line, we've had a monster good week. It's been a couple of good weeks to the market, and it's been on a real roll. But I, I want you, I got to guard you against complacency here. We got a big, bad Fed Reserve meeting looming next week. And if J-PAL can't find a way to thread the needle between fuelty to Fed orthodoxy and presidential pressure simultaneously, well, this market could have a very rough go of it next week. Let's go to Noor, Noor in Georgia. Noor. Hey, yes, thank you, uh, Mr. Kramer. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. This one's on Keurig Dr. Pepper. Current stock price, what's your take? Is it uh, you know, in line with where you think it deserves to be, or is it possible this thing may be uh, Oh, a no, I like the stock. I like the stock very much. I think that Gam Gord is doing a terrific job. I would buy it on any weakness. It's one of my favorites, and not just because I like Diet Dr. Pepper, as everybody knows, on a late Friday afternoon. Sure, the market's been on a roll, but I want you to be you got guard against complacency here, people. Things may not go the bull's way on Wednesday. Oh, man, money tonight. Wondering which companies are controlled by the trade talks with China? Well, I'm going to play hostage, non-hostage. I'll run down the list. Then, Smile Direct sure didn't leave investors smiling after its first day of trading. Should you brace yourself for more pain ahead? I'm going to give you my take. And school's back and in session. And you know what that means. Homework is due. I'll turn mine in tonight and let you know which companies are making the grade. Hey, there's a couple of bargains. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. Let's play a new game. Let's play, I call it, hostage versus non-hostage. As in, which companies are really hostage to China and which ones do we just assume are hostages? I'm going to start with the most obvious one, Caterpillar. Hostage or non-hostage? Jeez. I don't know. Okay, look, the company's going on record saying that China only accounts for 5 to 10% of their business, but nobody cares. No one hears them. Oil's actually more important than the People's Republic. Pipelines, construction. They're more important. Yet cat stock trades like it's hostage to China no matter what. And it can't seem to shake it. Cat wins where oil goes up, but nobody seems to care. Yesterday's stock got dinged by a critical downgrade after a run from 115 to 132. Why? Based on trade talk hopes. 
But with more hope as a, at an imminent deal on the horizon, cat stock made up for yesterday's losses and then some today. Big move. I say let's say cat's totally hostage, despite the fact it shouldn't be hostage at all. Can't swing it. Can't shake it no matter what. All right, what's non-hostage? How about Bank of America and Wells Fargo? Thanks to the rise of ETS, though, these two stocks trade with the rest of the banks, which people think somehow are hostage. There isn't enough individual stock picking in the group anymore. Definitely not hostage, these two. They're largely domestic banks. Frankly, I think they're both opportunities down here uh, versus their compatriots, which are thought to have more China connections, even though those connections are really tenuous. Dear hostage. Anything agriculture is right in the crosshairs of the trade war. If you don't have the Chinese in there buying our crops, the assumption is that farmers won't have enough money to buy new gear. Deer's numbers are most likely to be too high. 3M, totally hostage. You cannot get a rally in the stock without a turn in China. There's just too much that isn't working at 3M. After the presentation they made this week, I'd argue that analysts have to cut numbers. This one's dicey. Broadcom. Not nearly as hostage as people think, as we learned last night when they reported, because its recent acquisitions, CA and Symantec, have diversified the business away from China. Hock Tan, brilliant CEO, knows what can happen if you're too linked to China, like we're seeing with Skyworks Solutions. I think Broadcom's a good place to go now that it's been de-risked by a so-so quarter. Down 10, I say start buying, use a wide scale. The Cloud King, Splunk, VMware, Workday, not hostage because they just don't do enough business in China. PVH, the parent of Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger, hostage. They're seen as getting too much of their sourcing from China, which means they'll be hurt by the tariffs. The only thing PVH has going for it is the gigantic almost $10 million insider purchase of a mad money friend of the show, Manny Chirico. He's the chairman and CEO. Now, it's been said that this company is too linked with ailing department stores like Macy's, so his buy might be idle. But I don't believe in idle insider buys. Nobody knows more about this company than Manny. Still, no reason to buy it here. Just had to move on that insider buy news. Hold it, though. NVIDIA, you know, one of my favorites. Named, it, named my dog after it. No, they did not name the company after my dog. NVIDIA, hostage. After its big run, NVIDIA needs this Mellanox deal to close, and so forth, the Chinese haven't uh, checked off on it. Now, if they do get Mellanox, it would raise numbers, as NVIDIA is basically buying the other side of a board that it makes for the Internet of Things reach out. So, yeah, hostage. What about semis like Xilinx and Marvell? Xilinx is hostage because so much of its sales depend on China's 5G build-out. Marvell is perceived to be a play on 5G everywhere but China, but because they've already told you they diversified away from Huawei, the PRC pariah. Hey, by the way, they're killing it with Samsung, which is why that stock, which my Chapel Trust owns, has been so strong. The fact is, most companies that did business in China haven't been able to get out of China with the speed of, say, uh, Hasbro or RH, which reported a great quarter this week. Come on, it's easier to move toy or furniture manufacturing to another country than it is to move high-tech component construction or assemblage. And even a small amount of China exposure can hurt a tech company. Cisco, for example, has very little Chinese exposure, but it was still enough to kibosh that last quarter. Only Marvell Tech seems to have worked hard to tell a non-hostage story that people thought they were hostage. Now, why did I go through all these examples? Because you better get used to playing hostage, non-hostage, as I don't have much hope of a swift resolution to the trade negotiations. 
earnings season, people, is right around the corner. And this time, I expect pre-announcements, precisely because for many companies, China's still a major source of growth, and they can't get out of there fast enough to escape the impact of tariffs. So you need to figure out who's a hostage and who's free and get clear before we get to earnings season. The market's trying to stabilize. I mean, look, we had a pretty strong week for the Dow. Underneath, I'm a little worried. Investment bankers are coming back from the summer vacations. We're starting to see yet another wave of somewhat eagerly anticipated IPOs, depending on which one. I mean, you got Peloton, maybe Postmates, and, and of course, this WeWork, uh, I'm sorry, the We Company coming soon. But the thing about this stage of the IPO cycle is that you're starting to get lower and lower quality merchandise. That always happens sooner or later the market will notice. And that's what happened yesterday morning when Smile Direct Club, SDC for you, home gamers, came public. Now, this is a teledentistry company. Rather than going to an orthodontist over and over again to get braces, you can get a remote appointment on your computer. No in-person visits required. Then they'll sell you high-quality clear aligners, a lot like Invisalign, for less than half the cost of traditional braces. In other words, SDC is a disruptor in the field of orthodontics. So many investors and commentators believed that it would be a good deal, and instead, it flopped. Now, don't get me wrong. I always thought Smile Direct Club had potential. At least I did until I saw where the IPO price, which is at $23, was above its proposed range, which was already pretty aggressive. Once I saw that, I figured it might struggle. And I said so on Squawk on the Street. But even I, as negative as I got on this thing, did not expect it just to completely tumble and melt down. In case you missed it, SDC priced at 23 bucks, and then it immediately began trading at just $20.55. Think about all the loss. That's an instant 10% loss for anyone who got a piece of the deal. It only got worse from there, with the stock sliding to $16.67 at yesterday's close. Ouch. Okay, the stock rebounded today up 12% to 18 and change. It's still down substantially, though, from both the deal price and the first trade. That's a pretty demoralizing start for Smile Direct Club. So we need to ask ourselves, was this breakdown right? Or just did the underwriters botch the pricing? So let's take a closer look, because there's a lot to learn from this escapade. I, want to te- I, don't, I haven't touched on enough of these IPOs. They're just, they're very exciting, and you get one, and then you forget about it. Uh Uh-uh. First off, Smile Direct Club really does have a cool concept. I know it sounds a lot like Align Technology with its clear, removable retainers, and and that's because it is like it. However, there's some key differences. Without insurance, Invisalign's product uh, goes for $3,000 to $5,000. SDC's costs roughly $2,000. Even more important, if you want to get Invisalign, you have to go to an actual orthodontist and get monthly checkups. SDC lets you take your teeth impressions at home via a kit, although you have physical locations where you can get it done professionally. You can check in with the dentist via teleconferencing. Oh, that's a lot more convenient, isn't it? SGC also recently rolled out nighttime aligners. You wear them for 10 hours at night for whatever reason. You, you can't wear the normal ones during the day. Now, I think this story is practically custom-tailored for millennials who want to look their selfie best at all times. SGC is a bargain. It's convenient, and it makes you look better on Instagram. That's the trifecta. That's the story. How about the numbers? In the first six months of the year, SDC had spectacular 
113% revenue growth. The gross margin, what they make after the cost of goods sold, increased by 1,200 basis points to 77.6%. Their earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization just barely turned positive at $2.3 million. What's eating up so much of their money? Marketing expenses. In fact, SEC's marketing expenses grew faster than their sales, up 141% year-over-year to $209 million. Not what I like to see. So let's go over the pros and cons. On the plus side, what do we have? All right, we've got truly turbocharged growth. While their sales growth decelerated from 190% last year, 113% in the first six months of this year. Come on, that's pretty darn good. Not many companies can boast of that kind of number. Their average selling prices are going up. Always a good sign. And the opposite of what we've seen from Align Technology, which has had its stock eviscerated over the past year because of comp- competitors like SDC arriving on the scene. I also like that the company's trended toward profitability, even if it's not quite there yet, if any substance. Those are the pros. How about the cons? First and foremost, there's that marketing cost number. Ideally, you want your revenue growth to exceed your marketing and selling expenses. With Smile Direct, it's the other way around. Hopefully, they can tap the brakes on promotional activity once they've reached a critical mass level. But we'll have to see. Second, I am always a touch suspicious whenever I see a company with a big in-house financing arm. Because in the past, we've seen cases where easy financing mass weak demand for the product in question. This hasn't happened here. But I always think about it. It's in the back of my mind. That's a lot more pros than cons. So why did the IPO turn into such a disaster for anyone who had the misfortune to get in on the deal or maybe buy the stock at the opening? I think a lot of it comes down to the pricing. $23 was simply too high. Even at $18 and change, where the stock is right now, it's too high. Because SDC tells it for 8.5 times this year's back of the envelope sales forecast. That's very expensive for this industry. Align Technology uh, sells for roughly six times sales. Remember, Smile Direct Club isn't some kind of cloud-based software company. It doesn't have some sort of fantastic recurring revenue business model. It's basically in the same business as Align. Although, given that a line is actually profitable, it's not quite fair to compare the price to sales multiples. On the other hand, SEC is growing much faster. But this is now a market that suddenly values profitability a lot more than growth, and that's crucial. It's not just valuation, though. At the end of the day, the key comp- comparison here is Align technology. And Align stock has been a total disaster of late, because it had a very big run, of late, because the invisible tooth aligner business has gotten increasingly competitive. Investors hate competition. When Align had the industry to itself, it was a great stock. But now you've got SDC coming in. 3M has been trying to make this move, not to mention an alpha called Stroman, and then Den Supply Serona. Frankly, it's starting to feel a little crowded. Like the, you know what it does? It feels like the online food delivery space where Grubhub used to be the great investment. But it became a real dog once others started moving in on their territory, which is why it's very hard to recommend. Don't buy. Don't buy. Bottom don't line. buy. I think the underwriters priced the Smile Direct Club deal far, far too aggressively. Totally misjudged the demand. Something that starts happening, by the way, near the end of an IPO cycle like we've had, not the beginning. But honestly, maybe this just isn't a great time for IPOs of companies with terrific revenue growth and no profits that operate in increasingly competitive industries. I don't know what the right price is for SDC, but I do know I wouldn't pay more than $16 and change for it exactly where the stock bottomed just yesterday. Mike in Florida. Mike. Hi, uh, Jim. It's great talking to you. Same. Uh, I'd like to ask you a question about the stock of Real Real. You mentioned the stock a couple of weeks ago, and I agree. Their business concept certainly is excellent. But on August 30th, two law firms put out shareholder alerts on the stock. 
and this was related to their IPO, and the firms are investigating potential violations of the security laws. But what's interesting, it seems to be having absolutely no impact on the stock because since August 30th, Real Real has had nine straight obsessions. My question, should I add to my holdings in Real Real? I like Real Real very much. By the way, my wife just used Real Real this week and just loved it. Uh, we've liked this stock. We think it's a terrific situation. But, then, you know, when we were talking to Everlane, they like it. So I think the Real Real is the deal. And I would really recommend you buy some more Real Real. All right, listen up. I thought Smile Direct Club had potential until I saw where they price it. I wouldn't pay more than $16 for it, which is where it bottomed yesterday, not today. Much more mad money head. Now that we're finally in back-to-school season, I think it's time to do some homework, a massive amount. First, I'm tapping a sector I get the most calls on biotech to see if any under-the-radar plays could be worth considering. Then I'm I, I, uh, under-the-radar chip maker. It is a proxy for the trade negotiations with China. I'll tell you if it's worth considering as positive chatter about the talks trickles out, even though you know how I feel. And then all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Now that we're firmly in back to school season, it's time to engage in a time honored tradition doing all of our summer reading homework at the last possible moment. And, man, do we have a lot of homework to go through, so let's get right started. Every time someone asks me about a stock I don't recognize or simply don't follow closely enough to give you a, a reasoned opinion on, I always promise to do the research and give you a serious answer. But now I'm back from summer vacation, I realize we got a lot of names to catch up on, chiefly because there are a lot of companies that have come public in the last few years without much fanfare or research, and it's difficult for even me to keep up with them. So let's do some homework. We've got so much to go through that I actually want to break things up a bit. That's why we're starting with the sector that I get the most calls about that is actually the hardest, biotech. It's a tricky group. People love to ask about obscure speculative biotech names that don't get a lot of coverage. They're high-risk, high-reward names. I can look very silly, which is why I hesitate to shoot from the hip during the lightning round and prefer to save them for later after I've had a time to, let's say, look at them a little more rigorously. That's why even if these stocks sound enticing, you need to be very careful. When I say they're speculative, I mean don't even consider buying them unless it's with money you're prepared to lose. Now, I wish I knew all these prospects over the top of my head. There's so many of them. Uh, But many have drugs in clinical trials. So it's very much a live by the FDA, die by the FDA situation, which makes them awfully hard to game. With that out of the way, let's get to it. Okay, on May 29th, Gordon in Texas asked about SEMA Bay Therapeutics. This is a development stage biotech, meaning it's losing a ton of money. It's focused on helping people with chronic liver disease. Now, when we got this call, SEMA Bay was trading at 12. Over the next two months, it dropped to six and changed. And it's currently at five bucks. What the heck went wrong here? All right, the company released some pitiful results from an ongoing phase two trial, not even phase three, which is the last, for their lead drug in a type of fatty liver disease. All you really need to know here is that this drug actually did a worse job than the placebo. That's the danger of speculating on these early stage biotechs. One bad piece of data, and the stock can get cut in half. Now, Seba Bay is also studying the same drug for a different liver condition, but that's a much smaller market. They also have some earlier stage sales, uh, stage drugs in the pipeline. But that's not enough for me to stick my neck out on this one. 
Seema Bay is way too risky for me, even after it's been crushed. Don't buy. Don't buy. Next don't up buy. on June 12, Max in New York called about Iovance Biotherapeutics. Now, that's another development stage company. And this is one is in the cancer immunotherapy space. And you know, if you watch the show regularly, that I've been drawn to that space for, uh, for let's say, long-term opportunity. They use a technology here called adaptive T-cells where they take your T-cells, then genetically modify them to become more effective at fighting cancer. They're working on treatments for melanoma, for carcinoma, for cervical cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, and it's a potential to work on many other types of tumors. When Max called about this one, iAvance had just word from 10 bucks in mid-May to 21 in mid-June, thanks to a very bullish presentation at the key meeting, the American Society of Clinical Oncologists, or ASCO meeting. Then the FDA gave the lead drug breakthrough therapy designation for cervical cancer, and we got even more positive clinical trials. The stock ultimately rallied to 26 in July, but lately it's pulled back thanks to the sell-off in the red-hot secular growth plays. Down here at $21, I think IOVance is worth purchasing. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Especially since there's a ton of potentially positive catalysts going forward. Now, remember, it's for speculation only. Don't try to put something like this in your retirement portfolio. But this stock, I think, has got what you're looking for. Third on July 2nd, Michael in New York called in about Arrowhead Pharmaceuticals, another development stage gene therapy play. These guys are working to treat intractable genetic diseases by shutting down the genes that cause them to make that happen. They use something called RNA interference. We've had a bunch of these companies on. If your DNA is like the blueprint for everything in your body, your RNA is like a messenger. It takes that blueprint and makes it a reality. To shut down genetic disorders, Arrowhead basically shoots the messenger. Now, this has become one of the trendier names in biotech. There should be a lot of calls on this. Management believes they can use their platform to treat all sorts of ailments. And clearly, the rest of the industry agrees, uh, as they've signed some major partnerships. Johnson Johnson, Amgen, two uh, stocks that are owned by my general trust. That's not bad. Good. That's good pedigree, huh? And Arrowhead keeps churning out positive data, which is why the stock has been on fire. Although it is down more than 12% since the end of the end of August. Again, that's thanks to that rotation, not anything that happened at the company. I got to tell you, this one's tough. When I see a stock that's up roughly 750% in two years, it makes me want to tell you that I think that it's moved so high that you should ring the register. And look, if you already own this one and you haven't taken anything off the table, well, you're being irresponsible, okay? However, I have to admit, Arrowhead's got a few catalysts coming up with some more data expected later this year, and the company's hosting an R&D meeting in a little over a month. So here's where I come down. Given the recent pullback, you have my blessing to put on a small position in this one. Emphasis on small. But again, the same speculative rules apply. Fourth, on July 11th, Kevin in California wanted to know about Regenix Bio, that's R-E-G-E-N-X-B-I-O. Regenix Bio is another early stage gene therapy company. Now, I almost think of them as the gene therapy equivalent of a drug delivery play. They have a gene delivery platform that lets them go in once and fix genetic defects. And they've already licensed this technology to other companies for more than 20 different product candidates. God, the inventiveness of some people is great. In fact, in May, the FDA approved a spinal muscular atrophy treatment that uses Regenix Bio, uh, their platform from Novartis. That's an actualersplus.com recommendation. Plus, they've got their own clinical trials going for diseases like wet age-related macular degeneration, which causes blindness and is a very big market. 
The stock's been a real wild trader. It's down more than 50% from its highs a little over a year ago. But just this week, it rallied nearly 20% after gene therapy competitors stumbled with some bad data. That said, it's still down substantially versus where it was trading in July. I like Regenix Bio's technology. If you want to speculate on this gene therapy delivery again, I'm saying fine. I like a lot of these. You know that. I'm drawn to this group because I love the risk reward, particularly for younger investors. Finally, on July 25th, a fellow named by the name of Scott in Florida called about Crystal Biotech. And that's Crystal with a K, kind of like where you get the Crystal Burgers. This is yet another gene therapy company. Crystal is focused on treating rare, debilitating skin diseases. Now, this stock is more than doubled year to date. And it's, I mean, but I, look, I, you know I'm hesitant to recommend it up here, even as their lead drug candidate. A gene therapy for a condition that causes your skin to blister way too easily has made good, pro- good progress. Interesting. So why do I like Arrowhead and Regenix Bio but feel less confident about Crystal? Because Arrowhead and Regenix Bio are plays on particular gene therapy technology platforms, meaning they have a lot of shots on goal. Crystal's focus is much tighter, which means you have fewer opportunities for potential upside. Plus, the other two have high-profile partnerships with major pharma and biotech firms. They've got believers who know a lot more about this business than I do, whereas Crystal doesn't. So if you want a super speculative gene therapy stock, I'd rather that you go with Arrowhead or Regenix Bio. The bottom line, after going over the caller's best biotech ideas from over the summer, there are three that I'm willing to bless for speculation. Iovance, Arrowhead, and Regenix Bio. Just be careful with them. Younger viewers, listen to me. you got your whole lives ahead. You can make back any losses. One of these might belong in your mad money portfolio, as long as you have decent risk tolerance. As for Crystal and Sima Bay, sorry, too risky for me. Stick with Kramer. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? That's over the lightning round. Let's start with Devin in California. Devin! Jimbo, my man. Yo, yo. Thanks for, take, thanks for taking the call. My pleasure. Being a pioneer. Hey, listen, I'm managing a custodial account for my kids. Okay. And it's up significantly. I'm looking to pick up Trek. Uh, man, man, no, look, we've been recommending Trex for a very, very long time, but I've got to tell you, this thing is now going parabolic, and I do like do not like parabolic moves. You have to wait for that thing to come down, and boy, I feel great that we've been recommending it because I use it in my house. But that said, wow, a fifty percent. I'm gonna have to say up here. Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't buy. Let it cool off. It's okay. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Jim, a couple weeks ago, I called you up and asked you if it was time to take profits in end phase. Uh, since that time, uh, the stock's been beaten down from 35 to 22 by people taking profits. Right. And short sellers are jumping on the stock are now because Generac is uh, coming into the space. So should I use this weakness to buy more or should I just clear out? I'd okay. appreciate this your is, thoughts. I'm glad you asked about this, Mark. The heat that I've taken about opining on end phase in uh, uh, Twitter, Twitter has left me to say, okay, it's every man for, and woman for themselves on this one. It's too hard. You're right. The shorts are all over it. I am going to say I don't have a view. I am going to be the punter. 
just like on a specialty team in fantasy. Let's go to Gene in Arkansas. Gino! Hey, Jim. This is Gene in Arkansas. I'm transplant Texan, go horns. And I've got two sons that graduated from Arkansas, so I'm split personality, go hogs. Oh, man, it I must be something at home. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I've got a question about an investment I made back in April, and it's Alcon Labs. It was spit off, spit off from Novartis. Right. And I, I have a long history with oh, it. I like it. I like Alcon, and I like Novartis. We buy Novartis for the Chapel Trust. Bye, bye, I think bye, you got bye. winners abounding there. I need to go to Alex in New York. Alex! Jim, how Alex. you doing? I am good. How about you? Great, great. I just want to say my nine-year-old son, Ron and I, really enjoy your show. From Thank now. you. And there you go. You're That's welcome. what I want to hear. All right. Rite Aid, the Equity Rite Aid. I purchased it uh, before the acquisition of Walgreens. Too risky. Too risky. Dog in Arizona. Dog. Dog. Yeah, hey, Jim. You're up, Doug. Hey, it's Doug in Arizona. Big booyah for you, Jimmy. Booyah right back. I've been, been watching you for a long time. I DVR your show every day so I can watch it when I get home. Okay. Made a lot of money on you last year for the Starwood tip back in October. 15% Excellent. up from there and Excellent. 8% dividend. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but I'm calling about TGE right now, Tallgrass Energy. No, I'm not an arbitrageur. I know people think it'll be a higher bid, but I say ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And that lays up the conclusion of the... Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Here's Link getting pumped for mad money. That kid's got horror sense burning down the house. Where have you been all my life? Wow. You're like my personal shopper. I know, I I mean, this is fantastic. I mean, you got a hole right here. I got it, Sasha. This I want. This I think is, or do you think it's too old? I'm too old. If you're... What? Cobble out. Oh, no. Lately, Everlane has been doing something a little different. What do you mean? Actually, you know what? Hey, let's pin the blame on Generation X. They can use some attention. You suck. All right, I'll do it again. It's long. It's too long. Tonight we're catching up on all the homework we missed out over the summer. And by homework, I mean the stocks I promised to research because I didn't know enough to opine to you. And I'm not going to cuff it. We already covered our biotech summer reading. Those are the toughest. But now I've got three more, a small chip maker and a couple healthcare stocks. First, on July 19, Frank in New York called in about Accelerate Diagnostics. And this company is actually a company we discussed before, uh, also part of a homework segment back in April. So what happens, obviously, I was stumped twice. I am a chump. Accelerate Diagnostics is a company that tries to deal with a very serious problem, the rise of antibiotic-resistant diseases. 
Bacteria evolve quickly, so we're seeing more and more of these superbugs that resist most forms of antibiotics. Now, there are ways you can diagnose which drugs might actually work, but the current technology usually takes two or three days to come back. And if you're talking about a serious disease, well, I mean, two or three days, I mean, that's ridiculous. It takes way too long. But Accelerate Diagnostics accelerates the diagnostics. It's got a simple solution. Their diagnostic system allows for much faster turnaround times in these tests. They can ID a bacteria or fungus in 90 minutes and figure out which drug it's vulnerable to in seven hours. However, the company is having some execution issues. So the last time I talked about this one, I told you to wait for more evidence that hospitals were actually buying their machines before you did any buying of the stock. Accelerate Diagnostics has seen the shares since rally about 10%. That's a little better than the overall market. How about the fundamentals? All right, we're waiting for signs of better execution. And you know what? The more I look at it, the more all I can say is that we do not have signs of better execution. In its last two quarters, Accelerate Diagnostics has dramatically missed Wall Street's already modest revenues estimates. Remember, these kinds of stocks really trade on sales. They're simply not selling as many machines as many investors had hoped for. So I'm not yet ready to recommend this one. Buy, 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 buy. Nope. Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't buy. And it's got such a good concept. I really did want to hit the buy button. We need to see some results, though, on the sales front before we can accelerate diagnostics and call it safe. Of course, management is saying bullish things about the fourth quarter, and I hope they're right. But hope is not an investment strategy. At the end of the day, this is a $1.1 billion company that did less than $2 million in sales last quarter. No, thank you. Next. What else? On July 30th, Brian in New York asked me about TTM Technologies. I said, I got to get back to you on that one. TTM Technologies is a semiconductor company, a chip company. They make printed circuit boards as well as radio frequency and microwave components. The TTM in the name stands for time to market. Their selling point is that the company is a one as a time-critical one-stop shop if you're trying to develop chips and bring them to market. While TTMI is up roughly 20% in the last six weeks, since Brian called about it, good on you, Brian. The fact is, the stock's been a real wild trigger. Why? Because it's the kind of semiconductor play that's viewed as being hostage to China. And for good reason. TTM gets more than 18% of its sales from the People's Republic. And a big chunk of that goes to uh, ultimate Uber bad guy, Huawei, the huge Chinese telco play that's periodically become public enemy number one in the Trump White House. Now, the company reported a very strong quarter at the end of July. But at the end of the day, this stock has become a proxy for the trade negotiations with China. You got to watch this thing when you watch Twitter. And that's why it's been roaring over the past couple of weeks. Every time we get positive chatter about the talks, this one, TTM Technologies and others like it catch fire. The good news the stock's quite cheap. It's trading just eight times next year's earnings estimates. Not sales, but estimates, thank heavens. The bad news, when a stock is this cheap, it often means that they don't have faith in the earnings estimates. Either way, TTM Technologies is not for me. Regular viewers know that I'm skeptical about these trade talks. I think it's going to be very hard to get a deal. And even if I were feeling more bullish about them, there are plenty of potential play, ways to play a ceasefire in the trade war. So what I am saying is, Pass! Finally, on August 20th, Tom in Florida wanted to know about MedPace Holdings. I said I need to do some homework. MedPace is what's called a Contract Research Organization, or CRO, okay? 
Basically, when pharmaceutical or biotech companies want to run a clinical trial, they hire a company like MedPace to run and manage it. I mean, they just want to make drugs. They don't want to necessarily run the trials. Think of them as an arms dealer, these guys, into the whole drug and medical device industry or a facilitator of innovation or uh, picks and shovels, gold for gold. You know what I mean. While this is a mid-sized CRO, they've carved out a nice niche for themselves, doing a ton of business with small biopharma companies. As a stock, MedPace has been a huge winner, both longer term and more recently. The company came public roughly three years ago at 23, and it's now at 85 and change. It's better than a triple. Most of that move has come since February of last year. And when you look at MedPace's financials, you can understand why. The sales have been steadily ramping quarter after quarter after quarter. The earnings have basically followed suit. By the, by the time MedPace reported its latest results near the end of July, management totally knocked it out of the park, posting some stellar beat and raise numbers. We're talking nearly 26% revenue growth and an acceleration from 23%. We like that. That's our accelerated revenue growth in the previous quarter, which translated into 30, 33% earnings growth. Plus, the new forecast was even better. Instead of 15 to 18% growth, management's talking about 19 to 22% growth. That's huge. Oh, and, and they paid off all, all of their debt, which means they could potentially use some uh, bountiful cash. Uh, to either, let's say, give you a big dividend or, of course, buy back stock. In short, there's a lot to like here. Over the, the next couple of days, the stock jumped from the low 60s to the high 70s, and it's continued to climb, and now it's at 85 and change. But that's the one problem. I feel like we're pretty late to the story, especially since MedPay sells it for 26 times next year's earnings. On balance, so I still like it. Hey, maybe this is an idea. Maybe you start a small position in med pace here. You have my blessing to do so. The numbers are simply too good to ignore. That said, I'd like this thing a heck of a lot lower uh, because then it, it's something that might happen if we get good economic news that causes a rotation back out of the sector. Uh, growth stocks to get hurt here. I don't want that. The contract research market's been a good one. Med pace is a great way to play this fantastic sector, the growth trend. The bottom line, finally, finally, we're cleared out of all of the homework backlog, just in time for back-to-school season. Going forward, I promise I'll do a better job of keeping up with these in a timely manner. It's not right what I've been doing, but we have so much day-to-day press. Oh, and don't forget, of these last three homework names, MedPace is the one to buy. But only put on a small position here. Then cross your fingers and hope it pulls back so you can get a better entry point. Stick with Kramer. the bell disney's bob Iger resigning from the apple board to me that makes sense he's always been a great contributor there but now they're going head to head it's hard to believe that they should stay together why should Iger give the ideas that you need to do to apple's board when he's competing head to head i think it makes sense i don't want to read too much into it they should not be aligned anymore when they are opponents. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.